Psalm 107. This is the first psalm in book 5 of the Psalms. Whoever gets there first and would like to read out, feel free to do so. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, who he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary, from the from the east, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness and a desert region. They did not find their way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted for them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them also by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and shame, because they had rebelled against the words of God and spurred the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke the land of the heart. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. For he has shattered gates of bronze and cut bars of iron asunder. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word, and he healed them and deliver them from their destructions. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his works with joyful singing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and he raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens, they went down to the depths, their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man, and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were back. Then they were glad because they were glad, so he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them extol him also in the congregation of the people and praise him at the seat of the elders. He changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water to a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt lake. Because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it, he changes a wilderness into a pool of water and dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell, so that they may establish an inhabited city, and sow fields, and plant vineyards, and gather a fruitful harvest. Also he blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease, when they are administered, and will bow down through oppression, misery, and sorrow. He pours contempt upon princes, and makes them wander in a pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high, away from affliction, and makes his families like the flock. The upright see it and are glad, 
there's so many things in there that I find encouraging. And it's good to reflect on who God is and his loving kindness that he has chosen us from before the foundation of the world, um, that he has made a way for us to be in communion with him for eternity, and that he desires to transform us into the image of his son, that we would were created for good works. Just as Jesus said, just as, as I do, you'll do greater things than these. So the Lord intends that we would um, be in communion with him through the Spirit and that we would walk um, in a way that brings glory and honor to him. So we're in Ephesians, and I ask the question every week, so what's Ephesians about? How's it organized? Uh, anybody want to proffer a, a guess? Or make Walk an assertive statement? Walk, sit, stand. <laughs> Except you got it backwards. Sit, walk, stand. Yeah. Sit, walk, stand. Sit, walk, stand. <laughs> Verse 2. So what is, what's the sitting part about? Knowing your position in Christ. Knowing your position in Christ. And it's, there's a couple of things about that. Sitting in your identity in Christ, you're understanding your position, but it's also understanding Christ, right? Understanding God. Um, and that's kind of what that psalm is about. When we reflect on who God is, um, and we understand what he's doing for us, we're not in rebellion, but rather in communion, um, yet it blesses us. And so you actually read that in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So we understand that that's uh, both the intent of God's heart and that gets unpacked a little bit more as we looked at the kind of the um, significant theological exposition of Paul in the first three chapters, understanding who we are, um, understanding who God is, how He saved us by His grace, and how that transforms us, <clears throat> such that we are uh, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel, and. As we read through that, we got to then the what I call the ethic, the Christian ethic part, which is how now shall we live, right? So ethics is how you behave in the world based upon what's going on on the inside. So sometimes people will look like they have a positive ethic, um, that they do good things, but you have to look at the heart to understand if that ethic is, is based in um, a desire to bring life bring value, to do good, or if it's all about building a kingdom or all of the different things that can occur. So there can be incredible philanthropists, and you have to kind of look at, well, what's the motivation of their, of their actions? So we, in, in, uh, in the world's view, we can have an ethic apart from being righteous, a good ethic apart from being righteous. And we've seen that. 
but we've also seen where um, out of God's transformation of our heart into uh, we would never call ourselves righteous and if Tim was here he would he would uh, interrupt me at this point and say but Dave that's not true of me and it's like well we're a work in progress and it's what God is doing in you today that you were both saved as a past action you are being saved as a current action and you will be saved as a future action and we understand that both in uh, the uh, conversion process the sanctification process and the glorification process right that that's what's uh, salvation is about that it's not just a, a single one-time thing where you got your ticket and now you can can live however you choose um but rather it's a walking with God. And so um, that's where we get that walk part. So sitting in our identity in Christ, um, walking uh, based upon that identity in the world. And that's where we see that transformation in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians. So therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So <clears throat> there's, it chalked in that uh, statement is a whole lot about um, what it means to, to walk out that inner work that God is doing, that it involves humility and gentleness and patience and Tolerance and love and um, uh, an eye towards uh, unity. And so you start seeing then both the community of the church, individuals that are in Christ, um, operating within the world, right? So we understand the church, and there's a whole uh, lesson that we can unpack about the church. Then you get down to, um, once Paul kind of lays a theological foundation for ethics, he then moves into um, how we should look. We should look different. We should walk differently. Um, and we see that in chapter 4, verse 17, where there's a comparison contrast. Comparison in walking in the world, walking in darkness, walking in sin, with uh, walking in enlightenment of the Spirit, um, walking in... Uh, and the freedom that Christ has given us from sin, and we recognize in that, again, how it is a daily activity, so it doesn't mean that we've already arrived, but we walk differently. And finally, we walk righteously. We see in chapter 4, verse 25, it says, Therefore lay aside all falsehood, speak truth to each one of you with his neighbor, we are members of one another. And then it kind of lists down what that kind of looks like, right? What does it mean to walk righteously? So we unpack that as we move through. Last week we uh, got to the transition in that to uh, a very, what Paul's doing is he's kind of drilling down into more and more specificity of what it looks like to truly um, walk as a Christian, such that you are distinct and different and, and righteous. And we see at the end of that uh, section on walking righteously in chapter 5 verse 1 says therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ also loved you as Christ also loved you 
and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we see that um, as we're transformed, we're to be transformed into the image of Christ. And what do we know? I mean, we're coming up on Easter, right? So what do we know about that image of Christ? Because he walked um, perfectly in this world. He walked righteously in this world. And he walked in a way where um, the full uh, expression of his divinity um, was on the inside, not on the outside. When I say that, that means that he didn't appear in his glory except on the Mount of Transfiguration. So as he was uh, in the world, people saw him as he is, fully human, but fully in accord with the Father, to the point where he said, if you've seen, the, uh, seen me, you've seen the Father, right? That there was an alignment and accord that occurs um, as, within Christ, and that that's what people saw. So what do we know about what that looks like? What does it look like to, to be an imitator of Christ? What does it look like in your life? Or what would you like it to look like? To abstain from sin. So in other words, to um, experience temptation, but not be captured by it. Right? Not that you would choose God rather than choosing whatever that sin promises you. Choose God's promise. That's good. What else does it look like? Because we know that Jesus walked without sin, and we know that he was tempted too. Compassionate, so we should be compassionate. Compassion. So, thinking of the veggie tale of Jonah, (laughs) which is about compassion and mercy, right? What's what is what is compassion? What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And and uh, what's what's the uh, the flip side of that? Getting what you don't deserve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's grace. Right. Getting something you don't deserve. And compassion is um, having the heart of God, where you see that people need uh, what they don't deserve. And so it has to do with uh, a kind of uh, enlightenment that occurs for us because by fallen nature we're not compassionate. Um, What else do we know about Christ? So he's compassionate. He was merciful. He was forgiving. Mm -hmm. And he asked us to forgive. Right? He didn't forgive one another Christ is forgiving you. Yep. And I need a lot of forgiveness. <laughs> so, therefore, to forgive others. Right. And it's not a, it's important to understand it's not a keeping a scale. It's like uh, sometimes we, we have this idea of Christian karma, right? Where um, our good is a, a record and we're, and our bad is also a record. 
and we're trying to get a balance between our records such that um, we don't do more good than we have to do because that would mean that I'm denying myself of some selfish ambition. Right? But at the same time, I want to have enough good that it outweighs the bad. Right? So that's keeping a record, a balance. And there are a lot of systems like that in the world, keeping a record. And uh, what do we know about love? It keeps no record of wrong. Right? Darn, no list. Yeah, darn, no list. That's really hard, by the way. Because our natural tendency is to keep a list. And, and, and I don't know why we have this performance base. I, I don't know if it's just purely cultural, because it seems to be cross-cultural, the idea that we need to measure up. And, uh, and probably it's because when you come into contact with the divine, you realize how you don't measure up. But part of that is understanding our identity in Christ, right? He is the king, which means we're not. Um, he is God, that means we're not, right? We're not little gods, um, although some would like to be. And so understanding who we are um, is part of what Christ also presented in his walk. What do we know about Christ? Keep going here. So we're talking about he was forgiving. What else do we know? He was compassionate. He was merciful. Or he is merciful. I shouldn't use past tense. Well, like I say, he wasn't critical. I mean, he was in the way to the Pharisees, but nevertheless, he was speaking the truth, showing them the error of ways. Right. He, he cared enough and loved enough to tell people the truth, um, and even though when it was hard, and there were times when he was really angry about the perversion of the truth. So, having uh, anger about unrighteousness is is uh, is not necessarily bad. Anger is not bad, but anger that leads to sin would be bad. Right, anger that leads you to get revenge, right? And I think there's even a program on television yeah. called Revenge. Yeah. Right? It's like you know that's the way of the world. Um, you know, uh, how does it go? Uh, I can't remember the the saying because I try not to do it, but it's about getting even. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That was you know watching part of the uh, well, it's on the news about the uh, Trumps. Uh, rally. Mm-hmm. Okay, Trump supporters and then there's Bernie supporters. And I mean, they're sh- trying to shout each other's down, but they can't do that. They start hitting one another. And I mean, rioting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I've never understood rioting. I just right. I just can't comprehend it. Right. That that's, you know, that wouldn't be me no matter what kind of a crowd I was in. Right. You know, I'm not going to burn, you know, burn building and do this and that and the other thing. Right. They get mob, and mob mentality. They can hide their things in a mob. Right. You know, individually, that wouldn't do it. So um, whether so that that's a good thing, right? So you should be the same on the outside as you are on the inside. So right. if uh, how you are when nobody's watching should be how you are when everybody's watching. Right. Right. And if you're doing anything else, you're 
putting on a mask, you're duplicious, you don't have integrity, right? So we know that Christ had integrity, honesty, things that we would attribute to um, to integrity, we understand that. What else do we know about, about Christ? He, w- he wouldn't have been rioting. <laughs> he was, he was uh, submissive. Right? So when it talks about these attributes that we're to have, humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance um, for one another in love, so that tolerance is about love, right? Um, that patience is about long-suffering and love, that gentleness is about love, and, and Christ was gentle. Um, to the point where people thought that he was not strong, right? But he was incredibly strong, and that was part of the temptation that he was presented with. It's like, well, you are the Son of God, so do this to show your strength, to show your power, and that strength and power um, comes from authority, and if that authority was true, then he should have shown strength and power. But what he showed was humility. What he showed was gentleness and patience. And tolerance. And so we actually um, read about that character of Christ in chapter 2 of Philippians, which is uh, one of the uh, prison epistles, just like Ephesians. Um, and it says that we should have this attitude in ourselves. I'm reading chapter 2, verse 5. So if you look at um, Paul's making the same kind of appeal to Christian ethic and the same kind of appeal to unity. And we see, uh, I'll start in verse 3 here. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do you think that Christ regarded people as more important than himself? Here he is, the king of all the universe. Did he consider his, uh, his subjects in his kingdom more important than himself? Because he was a servant. He served. And he served. He served to the point of death on a cross, right? But he served in so many other ways. He denied all of the things that we would think of are necessary in life in order to bring life to those that were dead and dying, right? And, a, and just like salvation is a past event, a current process, and a future um, future reality, I would say that death is the same way. It's a past process that that when Adam sinned, death entered into humanity, and it's irrevocable, just like salvation is irrevocable. A a new birth and a new creature uh, was necessary in order to put off that old man, that it's a, a current process, people are dying in their ultimate state, if apart from from Christ and God, is to be eternally separated to eternal death. We read about that, right? So, Christ cared so much, Jesus cared so much, that he was willing to regard us as more important than himself, that he would take our sin upon himself, that he would sacrifice himself. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So, 
Paul's making this appeal to our Christian ethic. Um, he's saying, be like Christ. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we understand that um, there, there's uh, a couple of different kinds of servants. Does anybody know what a bondservant is? Someone that willingly becomes... Right. It's, it's a, a choice that a person makes to place to value the one that they're serving to such a high degree that they place themselves under their authority. And, and that's what Jesus did. He both valued the Father and he valued the Father's creation to the point that he made himself a servant, not because he was required to do so. He was not forced. It was not conscripted labor. Jesus did not go against his will to the cross. And we know that because he wrestled with that in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was with full knowledge and this bondservant heart that he did that. That's what that was about, that moment in time. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. What is that name which is above every name? I would say that that name is is Lord. The one who is the true king. The one whom there is none greater. And, and that's who Christ is, and yet this is what he did and how he behaved. And that's what Paul is asking for us to do. He said, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 1. That's what Paul's trying to impress upon us, right? That not only should we be different and righteous, but we should be imitators. And being an imitator means that something has to happen on the inside because it wouldn't be that way on the outside any other way. You know, I can be a poser only for so long. Sooner or later, people are going to find out. If there isn't any reality, if I have no integrity it will eventually be discovered. And, you know, that, that can be very sobering for maybe presidential elections, things like that, right? So we understand that, that as we watch people in the world that God has appointed for specific tasks, he's called them, and they don't walk with integrity, that can be very discouraging. That's why we need to be encouraged in Christ and in what he's done for us, what he's doing for us, what he's yet to do in our glorification. Um, we need to be encouraged in that. We need to sit in the reality of who God is and what he's done, what he's called us to. Then we need to walk accordingly. So we need to be different. And that means we need to be righteous. So where we pick up this morning is in 
this drill down of where Paul's taking us in ethic. Um, he says, and I'm going to pick up in chapter 5, verse 15. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. So we're now in the home stretch of what Paul has to say. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. And he said that a long time ago. Still true today. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So you've probably heard this passage presented in the past, um, speaking specifically about marriage um, between a man and a wife and um, and between a man and a woman. I want to be really clear. Um, and, I, and I would ask you, is that what this passage is about? Pardon? It's about submission. It's about that same kind of heart that God wants us to have that is like his son. Right? He wants us to be imitators of God as beloved children. He wants us, as it says in uh, chapter 2 of Philippians, have this attitude or this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, he humbled himself, he submitted, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that he would give his life for that which he valued, his church. And that's what this is about. And that 
to try and help us understand submission, not submission of a wife to her husband, but submission of the church, those that are Christ's body, those that are in him, that are now one flesh, right? We understand that that's the truth about our identity in Christ. We are in him. A lot of people will say that um, to understand the New Testament, you need to understand prepositions. Because prepositions tell you uh, about where you are in relationship to something else. And one of Paul's favorite prepositional phrases is that we are in Christ. That, that we are one with him. That we are joined in unity. Just as um, we understand this mystery that from the beginning of creation, God created man and he created woman. And that the two were to become one flesh. That's the way that God intended us to be in relationship with him. That our life, our very life, would be his life. That we don't have life within ourselves. He does. And has the ability to give that to whom he chooses. And guess what? He chooses us. So that we can have his life as our own we too can become one. Not that we become God, but that we join him as a, as a wife joins her husband. And so that's why he says this is a mystery. right? But the mystery he's talking about here is, is the church. This, is, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So for us, this isn't a passage that we can take out of context and use it as how uh, men and women should behave together in marriage, if, if, as, as an exclusive lesson in that. Certainly, we can take that as how men and women should behave in marriage, as how women will behave with women, how men will behave with men, how we operate in the world, not being of the world, right? That we have this attitude in ourselves, that's that same attitude of Christ, that we would value others greater than ourselves. That's where he starts in Philippians. He says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. It's a valuing of the other person. And Christ valued us so much that he would lay down his life. And we are to be imitators like him. We should do the same for those that are in the body. We should do the same for Christ if he asks for it. If he says, I need you to actually take a stand, and that stand is going to cost you everything in this world. There are people that are asked to do that. Hopefully none of us. Because that's a really hard place when you get, when you get pressed um, into um, service for the Lord where this world will demand your life. But that's not the end, right? Because we are in Christ. And guess what? He has eternal life. He demonstrated it. What we celebrate as Easter, Resurrection Day, is Christ demonstrating the nature of our life. That life is in Him. And we are in Him. So we have eternal life. So He said, don't worry about the one who can destroy the body. Right? Rather, the one that you should be in submission to, the one that you should 
um, put your trust in is the one who holds your eternal life in himself. That's God. And, and we would use the King James word for that, fear God. And we're actually, he actually uses that language here. This isn't King James, this is NASB. But we're to fear God. Right? That's what it tells us here. That says, I'll, I'll read again from verse 15 through 21. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's that renewing of our mind, right? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So that's, that's that transformation that takes place when we, we have been given freedom that is the most incredible gift that God could give. So he's, he's given us eternal life in him, but he's given us freedom to choose him in return. So he chose us from before the foundation of the world. And this is what, when I embrace my marriage to Karen... I, I tell her frequently, thank you for choosing me, right? It was my choice for her, but she didn't have to choose me. And when I uh, was at one point in, in our relationship struggling with that she might not choose me, and I really chose her, you know, I, and it was kind of an irrevocable choice. I could not change my heart to say, oh, okay, she didn't choose me, so I unchoose you. No, it was a broken heart. And, uh, and understanding then in the large how God has a broken heart for those who don't choose him. But nonetheless, he loves you so much that he has given you this incredible gift, this freedom. And it's absolutely required that you have freedom in order to make yourself a bondservant. It's required in order to submit that you're not under any kind of uh, oppression or any kind of um, subversion, right? That it's something that in your freedom you choose to place yourself under another. In other words, to value them to such a degree that you will give your life, that you will give your all, that you will put your trust fully in them. That's, what, that's what's asked of us. We're asked to choose. You know, when I went through in the earlier part of Ephesians where we were looking at uh, chapter 3 and I, I uh, outlined um, that whole um, chapter 2 and 3 where I outlined how I do evangelism. And I gave you the one hand rule. Starts with God. Truth is we have a problem. That problem leads to death. There's a consequence. But there's a solution. God made a way. The last piece of that is you have to choose. You have to decide. Right? You do that on a daily basis in marriage. You do that on a daily basis as part of the church. That's what Paul's saying here. 
And to, to help understand what this is, he gives us some things that sometimes we take totally out of context. Like, I think it's wonderful that we should have this uh, song in our heart. I remember when I was first uh, came into a discipleship relationship in a church in western Colorado, and there was this song we would sing on Sunday mornings. It's, in my heart there rings a melody. I could, I could sing it, but I'll embarrass myself. Um, and that's because I was actually experiencing what it says in uh, Psalm 40. Now, I'll never forget when uh, we were preparing a a tribute to my grandmother, and we were going around, all the cousins and you know distributed family members were together, and they were all like, what's your favorite verse? And I said, well, I don't really have a favorite verse. I have a favorite, favorite psalm, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the muck and the mire, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and many will trust in the Lord. Right? Because that's not just my experience. That's a whole bunch of people's experience. That's that, that whole having a song, which we do. We want to sing a song. Right? But we also see that the way that this happens, the way that a, a song comes into your heart, is through being filled with the Spirit. So some people would take this verse here where it says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. They would see that as alcohol is bad, right? I mean, we know that because we got drunks. We got mothers against drunk drivers. We've got uh, one of the, the great... Uh, recovery programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Because it's a real problem. There are people that get caught in the dissipation of drunkenness. What is dissipation? Or maybe your Bible has a different word there. You know, I know somebody that has a head of the alcoholic thing. Mm-hmm. And they live there at fancy hotels and all stuff. Yeah, I mean, this this condition of the heart that is dissipation does not know um, social status, doesn't know anything about social status. It could be, you know, the, the prime minister of everything. It could be the person who has no home and can't afford new clothes, so they have to get them at the, uh, the local mission, right? In other words, what's happening with sin and the destruction that happens with sin um, is the opposite, it's this contrast, with the Spirit. So if you want to understand what it means to have that Spirit in you, Christ's Spirit, that causes you to sing a melody, in my heart there rings a melody, that's the Spirit of God. That's not a spirit of dissipation. Dissipation is is wasted energy. Right? It's wasted life. And, and we, we respond to that. And what I can say is, is that um, both the, the uh, founding uh, members of MAD and AA and things like that, they were pulling from the Bible as their understanding of what it means to be transformed and, and then behave in a way according to that transformation. And 
their point was, and, and of course they had to deal with people that don't want to even say the name God, let alone speak the name Jesus, except for in, in, in a curse, right? But we don't want to be wasting our time. You know, make the most of your time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? To be filled with the Spirit and not filled with dissipation. It isn't that this verse is not about alcohol is bad. It's about dissipation. It's about being filled with the Spirit and the contrast of the two. And because this is such an egregious problem in our culture and in all cultures, alcoholism is rampant. And if it isn't alcohol um, directly, it's some other variant mood-altering substance, right? I mean, we see that all over the place. That is dissipation. That's wasting time. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. That's and when, also saying, you know, being drunk, not that wine is bad. Right, it's not that wine is bad. It's, it's the dissipation. The, ex- the excess. And right. It's, it's when that becomes the end... Yeah rather than um, just something that happens in the course of life. So when Jesus would um, eat with his disciples, there was wine, right? Now, if he had taken a Nazarite vow, no wine would have touched his lips. But he didn't take a Nazarite vow, which is what his cousin John the Baptist did. Rather, Jesus lived as a man of integrity, he fully, fully human, and, uh, and lived in a way that um, demonstrated the righteousness of God and the heart of God. And they called him a, a, um, a drunkard, right, because he drank wine. He didn't get drunk, but he had wine with his meal. He sat with sinners, right? That's what Jesus did. Was Jesus corrupted because he sat with corrupted people? No, in fact, he could even touch the leper. The, the uncleanness did not contaminate his cleanness. Rather, his cleanness, his righteousness, brought cleanness and righteousness to those to whom he came. Guess what? He came to us. So when I read a lot of these descriptions in the Bible, I can raise my hand and say, yeah, that was me. I understand darkness because I've stood there. Um, you know, I even got the T-shirt. So, what what this is about is it's about um, being careful how you walk. That we are to have uh, a maturity, a discernment, an attitude of valuing others greater than ourselves, and redeeming every moment to bring about their blessing. Just as God is using every moment to bring about our blessing. We would be an imitator of him. Does that make sense? And so um, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. What does God see as important, as valuable? And that's what we want to come into accord with. We want to be in accord. Just as Jesus was in accord with the Father, we want to be in accord with Jesus. He is our high priest. That's what this is all about. And what happens is, is that when you live in that place, you live in a place of thankfulness. You are constantly reflecting upon the blessings of God in your life, and you're thankful for that. To the point where 
um, you really don't have the words to express it. Your spirit will kind of groan within you. Um, as you experience um, the goodness of God in the land of the living. You know, when David, and this was a psalm I think we read last week, might have been the week before, when King David, king of Israel, um, by the anointing of God through Samuel, even though he ran from Saul for many years, and he finally gets there, everybody's trying to kill him, right? The whole world is against him. He said, you know, I would have despaired, except that I, I knew, I believed, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would see the blessing of God. That's that thankfulness. That's seeing the blessing of God and what he's done for us and who we are in him. And that that, as we walk carefully, wise, making the most of our time, singing this song in our heart, understanding uh, as best we can what the will of the Lord is through the study of his word, being transformed in that way, it makes us thankful. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father, understanding what this is all about, both here and in here, both in my head and in my heart, and be subject to one another in fear of Christ. In other words, just as Christ was humble and took on the form of a bondservant, so are we to be submissive, humble, in that same way. Valuing others above ourselves. That's what it means here. It says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. It's not talking about um, that there's a different kind of subjection that occurs in the context of a marriage. Rather, it's using a marriage, something that we, many of us, not all of us, get to experience. <clears throat> so it's not just head knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. It's not the kind of stuff you learn in college, it's the kind of stuff you learn um, by living out your daily life. Right? That's why he uses marriage, is this understanding of submission, this understanding of the will of the Lord, trying to see the good that God is doing and valuing what he values. So God has a desire to bless my wife. He has a desire to do good. And we read about that, especially as you go through the Psalms, how family is so important. And that's what this is about. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. He himself being savior of the body. So speaking of Christ, he is the savior of the body of the church. As a husband, I need to lay my life down for my wife. But it's not just my wife. I don't stop there. I'm going to lay myself down for Jim. I'm going to lay myself down for all of you, Right? That's because that's what God has asked me to do. And it says, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. So, speaking of what that means is that my wife should have the same kind of uh, humility, the same kind of subjection in her heart that I have towards her. We love because Christ first loved us. But that means that we love, right? So we're taking an action based on our choice 
that freedom that we have in order to respond in kind, to be an imitator. So she's an imitator. And I wake up in the morning and, and say, thank you for choosing me. And, and she says more than just, well, of course, you know, you should be grateful. <laughs> no, she doesn't say that. She reflects that back, you know, thank you for choosing me. It's like, whoa, great dark, great day. We're off to a good start, right? So, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And what I would say is that Christ's death on the cross, although he was fully God, he was also fully man. And we know that that was a real sacrifice and a real death, because tears like blood were shed. That's what he did for us. Because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's what happened on resurrection day. We're approaching that. That's what this be different, be righteous is about. This is a great mystery. But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So love and respect are two things that both have to do with value. And I know I'm out of time, uh, but I'm going to leave you with that. They both have to do with value. When you express your love, you are valuing the other person. When you express your respect, you are valuing the other person. And the, what I would say is one of the contras to respect is contempt. And what contempt is, which is also universally recognized like respect, is it's when you feel devalued. When someone doesn't treat you um, with uh, a value, they place themselves above you. Right? That's not what Christ did. He humbled himself. And so that's what this passage is about love and respect. And this is where we're going to close. And I would say that it's not just husbands and wives. Um, it's love one another. Love one another is not specific to the specific family that you find yourself in, but it's rather more universal. And, and it's becoming really important in a world that is evil, right? Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So let's do that. Let's go ahead and close here. Lord, thank you for opportunity to study your word yet again. Lord, as we come down kind of the final stretch um, and we see um, the various ways that Paul will use to help us understand the truth of who we are in you and how that transforms us and how it creates, creates an obligation on us to walk worthy of our calling in you. Lord, um, just ask that you 
uh, incredibly impress that upon our heart as we uh, move down, like I say, this final stretch as we come towards where we need to make a stand. Lord, um, give us encouragement, give us enlightenment, um, give us a song in our heart that is just the evidence of being uh, joined with you in spirit. And Lord, um, we're so grateful for all of this. Lord, we ask that you would uh, be with us as we go out from here into the world. Um, We know that we're in the world, but not of the world. Help us to to be um, your hands and feet, as many people say. Help us to express your love and your respect to those that you desire to bring into your kingdom, which we know that you came that all would come to know you and all would have eternal life in you. Lord, give us uh, that that understanding of what you value and give us that passion um, for the lost that, that you have. Lord, we just ask all of these things and we ask for your protection, your provision, and we're so thankful for that. Not, not just requesting, but thanking, knowing that you're already doing that. And Lord, as you're a servant and serve us, help us to, to serve and serve others. We ask all of this in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray.